I'm excited to share with you out of um, Luke chapter 19, verses 36 through 38. I've entitled this, Make Way for the King. Make Way for the King, Luke chapter 19, uh, two verses to start off with. It says, and as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he, that uh, for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Father, thank you for this privilege to be in your house today. We thank you for the strength, for the mobility that you have put in us to be able to get here today and to praise your name. God, speak to us. Let your word find us. Let your word challenge us. Let your word change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jesus is entering uh, Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus is making his way in with his disciples as they begin uh, to prepare to observe what is known as the Passover. And in Israel's early history, I want to give you just a little bit of background knowledge on what the Passover was. In Israel's early history, they were held captive in Egypt. The Pharaoh at that time used them as slaves uh, to build his massive cities. And we understand that Israel was held bondage for over 400 years. And in the scriptures, uh, the Holy Spirit allows us to understand not only the bondage that took place, but also God's deliverance, God's deliverance. I'm grateful that he makes a way. Amen. He makes a way. You may feel bound today. You may feel held captive by situations and by challenges that have come your way, but we serve a God who is a way maker. He is still a way maker. God, we not only see the bondage, but we see the deliverance take place in this particular instance. Salvation comes to the people. Salvation comes to the people. And when we see the first 12 chapters of the book of Exodus, what we see is that God sent a deliverer named Moses to deliver his people out of bondage. He sent 10 plagues. Um, upon the land to try to get Pharaoh to let his people uh, go, to, to let the people go from the afflictions that they were, that they were facing. Uh, we understand that Pharaoh first hardened his heart and, and was, was hard-headed and was stubborn, uh, but then we also see that God hardened his heart. We, we, we understand this. The tenth plague, though, when it came, was like none other that they had experienced. I shared this a little uh, last week in communion. In the 10th plague, God says, death is going to come that night to the firstborn male, both human and both animal of every household. But God provides a means of salvation. Uh, he provided a way out. He provided a way out. He gave specific instructions uh, as recorded in Exodus chapter 12. They were to take a lamb without defect uh, without sacrifice, uh, I'm sorry, without blemish and sacrifice it. And they were specifically to take that blood of that animal and apply it to the sides of the doorframe. 
And when the angel of death would see this, he would then pass over uh, and salvation would come to that house instead of death on that day. Exodus 12, 13 tells us this, that the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. God, on that moment, in that instance, he establishes the Passover and wants Israel to remember that salvation. He wants Israel to remember that pinnacle moment in the history of the people that from generation to generation and to generation and to generation that they would remember that we serve a faithful God, that they would remember that we serve a God who is true to his word, that if he says that he is going to do it, that we serve a God who, can, who always accomplishes what he speaks. So he tells the people, write it on your heart and remember that I am faithful. Regardless of what you're going through, year after year, you'll stop and you will pause and you will take a moment and just thank God for that Passover moment and know that there is power in that blood on that, on that instance. But we are able to see uh, Exodus 12, chapter 14, that this is a day, he says, that you are to commemorate for the generations to come, that you will celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. So when we see Jesus entering on Palm Sunday, what we know as Palm Sunday, this triumphant entry into Jerusalem to observe his very last Passover here on earth, it's the first day of the week that we refer to, that we know as as Palm Sunday, Friday is going to be the Passover, and this particular Passover will be like none other before because we understand that Jesus will be crucified and nailed to an old rugged cross as our Passover lamb. He takes our place. And in looking at Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, there's three specific elements that I want to share with you today that are so vital and so important that stood out then and that are still relevant to us today in 2022. They will still be relevant to us in the years to come. They're very relevant in our time. And the first is this, that his promises are certain. Christ's promise is certain. Jesus did not come as the political king that perhaps some were expecting. He didn't come as this king that they were anticipating. No, he he didn't come as the king that would relieve them from the Roman oppression that they were under. Uh, He came in all humility. He came in all humility. His transportation into Jerusalem speaks volumes uh, to the type of king that he was. The Bible tells us that Jesus took two of his disciples and he told them to find a colt for him to be able to ride into the city. And Luke chapter 19, 32 through 35 tells us this, that those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he has told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus 
on it. And while this is done in the New Testament, this was done in fulfillment to what the prophet Zechariah had spoken when he prophesied of the Christ. He spoke of what God had allowed him to see. And we see through this that, that his word is forever. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. We understand through this that what the prophet Zechariah was allowed to see by Almighty God in the Old Testament comes to fruition. It comes to fulfillment in the New Testament. And through this all, it is just a picture of the faithfulness of God. It is to remind us and to let us know that his word is true. That every promise that he says in the scriptures will be fulfilled. That there will be no fallen word that you can count on it. If God says it, amen, it will come to pass. So on Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, we see the promise that is being fulfilled even in the smallest of details. He rides this donkey into Jerusalem because God's word declared that he would do so. In doing so, Jesus, we understand, declares that he is, the, this, the, that he is this kind of king, the one that comes with grace and peace. Can I remind you today that you can stand on the promises of God? Can I remind you today that the promises that you find are certain in him? Look at how Christ fulfilled the promise that was said by Zechariah. Because the word of God is true. If you meditate on his word, if you meditate on his word, everything around you may begin, to, everything around you may change, everything around you may vary, but his word will never change. His word will remain forever. Everything around you will fail you, but God's word will never fail you. I have to remember his word. I have to hold it close to me that when the enemy comes in like a flood, that the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. I have to understand that there is a word that is greater than the challenge that I face. There is a word that is greater than the trouble that has come against me. There is a word that is greater than what's going on on the inside, and it is the, it is the true word of God. There is a word, it is the infallible, uncorruptible, unshakable unmovable word of the creator that we serve here today. We understand that the grass withers, the flower fades, but his word remains forever. He's so faithful. He's so faithful to his word that because he promised Abraham that he would make him a father of many nations. And even though Abraham had died in Exodus chapter 2, the Bible tells us that the people were groaning in their misery and in their slavery. But the Bible tells us that God heard the groaning of the people and he remembered his covenant with Abraham. And he looked over Abraham's dry bones and even though 
Abraham was long gone, the God that we serve is so faithful that he said, Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. I have a promise to keep. I told Abraham that I was going to make him a father of many nations, and I am true to my word. I have to understand that the God that I serve, if he says it, he's going to do it. Wherever his word is, there will be change. Whether he says, let there be light, or whether he says, your faith has made you whole, whether he says, take up your bed and walk, or whether he says, Lazarus, come out. Wherever his word is, there is going to be change. Moses said it this way, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. If he says it, he's going to do it. So let's be reminded of it, the power of his word, what he says he will do. So let's be people of his word. The Bible tells us, let's not just be hearers, but let's be doers. Let's hear his word. Let's read it. Let's study it. Let's memorize it. Let's believe it. And let's live it. The word will work if you work it. The word will work if you work it. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. It is written that his word says that he will be with us to the very end. It is written that he will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. It's not what I can do. It's what he can do. There is a promise for what you're facing. And through his triumphant entry, we understand that his word is true. The second thing is we understand that his praise is certain. Christ's praise is certain. The Bible says, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. But they said this, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The Pharisees who were around on this moment saw what was happening and how Christ was being praised and how he was being magnified and how he was coming in the name of the Lord. And and they complained to Jesus about this. It didn't sit well with them. It was uncomfortable for them. And they told him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I don't know about you, but I refuse to let a stone take my place. I don't know about you, but I refuse to let a rock take my place. Those words of Christ are so profound and yet very much in line with all of what we see in Scripture. And what is incredible about this statement, what is spectacular about this statement is that creation when we look at creation, always knows its rightful place in the universe. So when you look at scriptures, when you look at the scripture from from beginning to end throughout it all, all of nature and all of creation is always in obedience to Christ. It always recognizes its creator. 
Let me, let me share a story from the book of Jonah. Uh, I'm sure most of you are familiar with this story, and if you're not, I'll be, I'll be able to share some of it here with you. And if you know it, you can keep track of what I'm, what I'm talking about. So throughout this entire book, we see that this one prophet named Jonah, he is walking in rebellion from what God has called him to do, what God has commanded him to do. However, what is it that we see in nature that is taking place throughout this story? God commands the windstorm to come and to beat against the boat that Jonah was in and he, as he is taking to flee to Tarsus. The wind doesn't disobey. No, it simply does what it is told to do by its maker. Then once Jonah is thrown overboard, the Bible lets us know that God commands this great fish that we know as a well to come and swallow Jonah alive. And commands this same fish for after three days to spit out Jonah onto dry land. The great fish doesn't hesitate. Nope, it obeys its maker. Then lastly, after Jonah has spoken words of judgment from God to the people of Nineveh, he goes out of the town and to sit and to wait for them to be destroyed. And what happens next? God sends a strong scorching wind to beat upon Jonah's head and he raises up a plant to shade Jonah's head. Then in the middle of the night, God sends a worm to, a worm to eat that plant. Jonah's response with frustration and, and his anger maybe towards God. But yet throughout the story, we see one prophet that time and time again, he is just going against what God has told him to do. He is rebelling against God, but yet we see five instances. That's right, five instances where creation always obeys the command of God. So can I tell you that we have to praise him? Can I tell you that we have the privilege of praising him? The Bible tells us, let everything that has breath praise ye the Lord. The Bible tells us, let everything that has breath praise ye the Lord. The Bible tells me that let everything, if I have breath in my lungs, I ought to be praising him. It, it, I may praise him in a different way than you praise him, and you may praise him in a different, but I have a right to praise him and to glorify him because I, there is breath inside of me. Even in the midst of those who refuse to praise him, can I tell you that his praise is still secure because he is worthy of all praise. He is worthy of all honor and he is worthy of all glory. I've got to praise him. If creation obeys him, I have to obey him and I have to cry out to him in praise. Both nature and humans exalt him together because he is high and he is lifted up. Hosanna, they cried out. Keep praise in your heart and on your lips, praise him in the morning, praise him in the noontime, praise him in the evening, praise him continually for he is worthy. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. It doesn't matter how I feel. There is breath inside of me and I got to praise him. I'll praise him when I'm lonely and I'll praise him when I'm sad. I'll praise him when I'm sick. I'll praise him when there's no money because he's still worthy and he's still holds my life in his hands. I serve a God who is worthy. He is worthy. The last thing that we see, 
the last thing that we see is that his love is certain. We understand that his promise is certain. We understand that his praise is certain. That if we don't praise him, he will be praised. And we understand that his love is certain. The Bible tells us in Luke 19, 41, that as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he began to weep. He began to weep because this is a glorious picture of what we see Jesus as the, the Passover lamb. About to head to an old rugged cross, but yet he's weeping over the city. Not, not lamenting about his personal situation, but he sees the city. Not the buildings, not the organizations, not the establishments. No, he sees the people. His heart is crying out for people. But why exactly is, is Jesus weeping? Looking at the anguish of the Apostle Paul for the Israelites may give us a little bit more insight and understanding as to why there was such anguish in the heart of Jesus. Paul says this in Romans chapter 9, verses 3 through 5, For I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption, and he lists these things to sonship. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple, worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry, ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all forever praised. Amen. So what does this mean for God had been in a unique and special relationship with Israel? that was unlike any other that nations had experienced. We understand that he came to his own, his own received him not. But I'm, I'm grateful that the scripture doesn't end there. He says, but everyone who received him, he gave the right to be made a son of God. I'm, I'm grateful that he's making us. Yeah. Oftentimes you hear this scripture said, he gave the right to be called the son of God. And it's one thing to be called something, but it's another thing to be made something. He has made us. So what we understand here is Paul is just outlining what was directly, how, how Israel was directly affected to the Jews was given all that Paul writes about the adoption, the dwelling of the glory of God with them, the covenants, the law, the temple, and the true worship, and then the Christ who is the Messiah himself. So if there were any people ever the worship team will join me. On the face of the earth that should have been prepared for the coming of Christ, it was the Israelites. And yet time and time again, we see in scripture how Israel persecuted and killed the prophets. They followed other false gods whom their fathers had not known. And it was these Israelites that God had held out his hand to throughout the ages. And he led them to victory. Even though they would constantly just go back and they just couldn't make up their mind about God. Would want to worship a God that they could see. 
He led them out of slavery. He took them into the promised land. And yet they refused him and they turned his back. They turned their backs on him time and time again. And God speaks through the mouth of Isaiah. Chapter 65, and he writes, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here I am, here I am. All day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. And now the greatest to be ever, ever sent to Israel, Jesus the Christ. It's being rejected by his own people. Though Christ is sovereign, he has control over everything, including the hearts. He still cries out. He still cries out for the people who will not taste salvation. He still cries out for the people who reject him. He still cries out for the people who doesn't who don't believe. He still cries out for the people that says, you know what? I know you love us, but I, I don't love you the same way. He still cries out in our lives. The people that don't want anything to do with God, he died for them too. In our circles, in our families, the people that are not here with us, that should be here with us, he loves them too. He loves them too. And he saw the whole world. And he chose to be the Passover lamb. Once and for all. So that people could be saved from death, from hell, and from the grave. Though we were, should have received wrath for all our transgressions and all our iniquities against Christ. The Bible lets us know that he died for sinners. So I understand through this that his love is certain. His love never changes. He doesn't change his mind about you. He knows what you did last night, but he still hasn't changed his mind about you. He comes after you with a ridiculous love, a relentless love that says, you know what, I love you so much that I, I see the worst parts of you and I, I refuse to, to leave you that way. But he says, I, I want to love you to change. I want to love you to change. He loves you that much that he gave his life as the Passover lamb. And as the, the Holy Spirit applies the cleansing blood of Jesus to the doorposts, to the hearts of his children, he saves us from the present world and provides a way to spend eternity with him. And that right there is the greatest miracle that you will ever see. That he died for you, that if you call on the name of the Lord, and if you believe in him, you will be saved. So today, on this Palm Sunday, as we remember together the majestic king that came in 
on that day that he came walking in, I want to remind you that he is still walking to you. Maybe you're running from him, maybe you're hiding from him, but he's still coming after you. His promise is certain, his praise is certain, and his love is certain. Father, in this moment, we thank you. Father, in this moment, we thank you that there is nobody like you. I thank you that because of you, I can experience wholeness. I can experience peace. I can experience the security that only comes from you. God, we cannot do anything on our own. We need you. We need you, God. Remind us daily that your promise is certain. Remind us daily that your praise is certain, that we should praise you at all times. And remind us that your love is certain. And for someone in this place today, that is going through a hardship for someone in this place that is facing a challenge that is unlike any other. God, that you would show yourself strong, that your word would change, that your word would encourage, that your word would bring new perspective. God, I thank you for your love that is pursuing us today. I thank you for your love that is chasing us today. I thank you, God, that there is nobody in this place that is too far gone, that has sinned too much, that has made too many mistakes. I thank you, God, that you are here to give new opportunities and a new day and a new hope and new life. I thank you right now, God, that you are in this place to change and, and, and to inspire us to be better, that we can be better, that we can change habits, that we can change the, our mindsets, that we can change because of you. I thank you in this place with every head bowed and every eye closed. You may be in this place and you have never made the decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And you say, today's the day that I want to do just that. Today is the day that I say yes, that I say yes to Jesus with every head bowed and every eye closed. If that is you, I want you to raise your hand high because we want to pray with you, pray for you today. If that is you today, right now, his love is causing change in your life. He loves you just like that. He has his arms open wide. He's saying, I'll take it from you. I want to invite everyone to pray with me. Lord, forgive me. Come into my life. Change me. I surrender my life completely to you. Thank you for setting me free. I believe you're the son of God. Be the Lord of my life. Let me live the life you died to give me. In Jesus' name, amen. Could we give God praise for everybody that received him today? I'm going to invite you to stand.